the New York Yankees are in town tonight for the first of three games against the Toronto Blue Jays, he said with a certain amount of fear in his voice. Mr. Barker and myself will be along following the game on Blue Jays Talk tonight. I will be along Sunday, and then we're off next week. My daughter's graduating from Queens. Congratulations, Emma. Awesome. And uh, Barker's going to take some well-deserved time Don't off as me. well. Don't call me. I will not call you. Nope. And then we will be back on uh, Friday. And we'll be all like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Suntanned. Well, you'll be suntanned. I'll, my... I'll, be, I'll be tired. I'll be tired. But, yeah, you're going to Well, I got a weird tan happening here. Well, you do. We've been it's discussing odd. this. Barker's got... You can tell... And it's not just it's not just you. It is a... It, there, there are... This is going to come as a surprise for to a lot of people who have air conditioning car. But a lot of us do like driving with our windows down. Do. You can always tell which arm is... Hanging out the window? Hanging out the window. Like, obviously, it's going to be the left arm because you're driving in that side. But you can always, your, your left arm is, yeah, it's, like, darker than your right arm. Absolutely. That's just, that's just the thing. Anyhow, no idea why we're talking about that. I do have a pair of Blue Jays tickets to give away. Uh, June 29th against the Boston Red Sox. And I have a trivia question for that. And what you're going to do is you're going to text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 59590. Uh, we're giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker. And that's whether you listen on the radio or on our podcast. So you can text your answer to 59590. Yesterday we asked you, which player stole 70 bases in a single season on the Red Sox? The answer was Jacoby Ellsbury. Would have got it. Well, I gave it away. You did give it away by saying that he's still stealing, except he's stealing money, not bases. Is it, I don't know. Is that contract still being paid? I don't think so. I think but anyhow, it's, uh, but it, but I, yeah, why let the facts get in the way? Why? He was for he's he did, stealing he, a lot of he's money. He's a member of the Bobby Bonilla Club. He got him. You know? Like, uh, the he team. got him, coach. Yeah. <laughs> still paying me a million dollars a year, four years after I've quit. There's nothing wrong with that. Good for you. Uh, jealous. Good for you. Today's question will allow you to win tickets to see the Jays and Red Sox down at the Rogers Center on Wednesday, June 29th. There's a little tricky bugger here, I got to say. Mm. Which Red Sox player has the record for most hits in a season? Now, I went through this. Mark Boffo, our excellent, excellent, oh, well done. excellent producer. Well done. Brought this in and read it out, and I was quite cocky, and I thought I got this answer, and I did eventually after mentioning five other names. So, which Red Sox player has the record for most hits in a season? Text the answer to 590-590 for your mm. shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. Would you have got this right I, out the I, gate? I, well, you would have gotten it before I did. I, the, I my first guess I, I thought was an educated guess. Yeah. It would have taken me a, a couple of no's. I went through five before I got to this dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should have known this right out the gate. Yeah, but the red, it, you know, the thing with the Red Sox again, it's a, it's like the Yankees thing. You got so much, a history. lot of choices. You got a lot of choices. But again, the question is, which Red Sox player has the record for most hits in a season? Mm-hmm. And uh, text the answer to five ninety five ninety for your shot to win. It's a good question. But the the, uh, the the people in the promo department who come up with these questions, they raise their games the last. They raise their game a little bit the last couple I, after that Babe Ruth I really question. do think it's it, it, it's it, it, it's determined on the series that, that they're giving the tickets away. Like you know, you want to you want to make it a little tougher when it's the Sox and but they didn't you know, they the, say if the, it's the Orioles, she they slammed with the up Babe that Ruth thing. Question. They didn't with the Babe Ruth question. Well, that was the Orioles, wasn't it? No, it was the Yankees. Tickets oh, to see what? the Yankees. Uh, Mark Feinsand is uh, a network insider. 
No, he's MLB Network Don't Insider. Don't let it beat you. Don't let That's it beat you. Same thing. He's also author of a new book, The Franchise, New York Yankees, A Curated History of the Bronx Bombers. Mark Feinstein, thanks for joining Blair and Barker. Congratulations uh, on the book. Um, And uh, I know what it's like when a book comes out and you see your hard work rewarded. So really well done. And uh, it's perfect. It's a perfect lead into this question because I, I was doing the game column for sportsnet.ca after yesterday's game and i had to put in the obligatory lines about how good the yankees were and honest to god mark i just said go read their game notes because i got tired of (laughs) i got tired of listing you know how good are the yankees let me count the ways Uh, look this there really is a whiff of history around this yankees team isn't there even though it isn't even officially summer yet man this there's there's some history being made here i think I keep waiting for that skid to come because every team hits it, right? I mean, we've seen just about every team in baseball history go through that 10-day period where things just don't look right. They kick a few balls around. They just don't get the big two-out hit. Uh, And, you know, they lose 8 of 10, and they sort of come back to reality. The team hasn't had that yet. Uh, I was looking at it yesterday. Pretty miraculous to think they could play under 500 the rest of the way. And win 96 games, which is just silly to think about on June 17th. But that's where we are. Um, You know, when you're 30 games over 500 in the middle of June, you're putting together something really special. Obviously, in New York, it's all about the rings. And you could win 116 games like the Mariners did in 2001. If you don't win the World Series, no one's going to care. Mark, how does Aaron Boone come into all this when it comes to trying to maintain this, you know, point of excellence this long? What part does he play in all this? Well, you know, I think he's a guy who who has a really even-keeled temperament. He's a a player's manager. I know a lot of people like to point at him and say he's just a puppet for the front office. I think he works in conjunction with the front office really well. Uh, He believes in all the analytics that the Yankees use, so it's not like – uh, a situation where you saw um, Joe Madden get fired in Anaheim and then come out and kind of rip the front office and say, well, I think we're a little too analytics heavy. This is one of the reasons Boone got hired is he agrees with all of it. So, um, you know, he's a good face for the team. Obviously, he's got, you know, a special place in team history with uh, with his big swing in 2003. But I think he just keeps that clubhouse very even. He reminds me in some ways of a younger Joe Torre, um, you know, who was able to do that in the in the late 90s with the Yankees, where even when things are going badly, he kind of kept the clubhouse uh, in order. Uh, Boone's done that, and he, uh, you know, he's done a great job with this team. Do you see this team, Mark? Look, the the you know the 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 core four Yankees. Uh, I mean, that was that was a special group. I I don't know if we'll see too many groups like that again through history. Um, you know, where guys sort of commit to a project on a long-term basis the way those guys did and and you know and have all that remarkable run of history but can this Yankees team do, do they have do they have the kind do they have the collection of individual personalities mark that will be loved as much as those Yankees teams were I mean <laughs> It's hard to say that anybody's going to be loved the way that Derek Jeter and Mariana Rivera right. and Posada and Pettit and Bernie Williams. Like that, that, you're talking about a once-in-a-generation kind of group. Um, I look at 
the 09 team, though. I mean, CC Sabathia won one World Series with the Yankees, and he's one of the most beloved players of the last 30 years with this team. Great so, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge certainly has that, right? I mean, he's he's already super beloved by the New York fan base and, and is one of the biggest stars in the game. Um, you know, Garrett Cole, if he has a big postseason and helps lead them to the World Series, uh, that will take away a lot of the focus on his contract and the sticky stuff. Um, you know, he needs to have a big postseason. I think fans have fallen in love with Anthony Rizzo. He's a guy that from the minute he got to New York, uh, people have loved him. And then you've got some, you know, a few of the homegrown guys who uh, have been around. You know, I mean, Gleyber Torres was a trade guy, but he was never played in the big leagues with anybody else. Uh, he's bounced back. There are guys on this team who will be beloved. It's really unfair to try to compare them to the Jeter, O'Neill, Tino, Bernie group because, you know, you got to win four and five years yeah. to get to get that kind of love, I think. Uh, other than health, why has Jamison Tyon been so good? Uh, health. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just, just we health. knew he was a – that's it. I mean, we, we've known he's a talented pitcher. We know he has good stuff. Everybody thought in Pittsburgh that, uh, you know, he was a rising star. Obviously, he had a lot of health issues. I really think, you know, he had a good run with the Yankees last year when he was healthy. He just couldn't stay healthy for the whole year. Um, and I think the fact that the entire rotation is pitching the way it is. I mean, Cole has the worst ERA on the staff, which tells you uh, sort of what the other guys have been doing. You know, they're feeding off each other. Nestor Cortez, Tyone, Severino has been a great story coming back uh, after missing time following surgery. Um, you know, Jordan Montgomery is sort of that just like bulldog, lefty, goes out there every five days, never gives up more than three runs. Sometimes they score four, most of the time they don't. Uh, but everybody on the staff is pitching well, and I think they're all, you know, sort of competing with each other. To, you know, you don't want to be the guy who disrupts the streak when everything's going so well, and Tyon's just fit in swimmingly with that. Uh, whenever I brought this up earlier when we were talking about the Yankees, about the true home field advantage for the Yankees, I played in the old Yankee Stadium. There's just something to that, walking into that place, having to play there, the fans. It just felt different. Is there a true home field advantage with the new Yankee Stadium? And I want to point out that little short porch in right field. Every time I see the Yankees, you know, they're right-handed hitters. They're hitting a, a two-run homer and two rows deep into, into right field. Is that a true home field advantage now for the Yankees? Well, it doesn't have the home field advantage the way the old stadium did in terms of the atmosphere and the, the aura and the legend and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't walk into center field and say, oh, this is where Mickey Mantle played or, you know, this is where Joe DiMaggio played because they didn't. This is a totally different building. It also does – it doesn't have the same um, kind of acoustics or – imposing uh, sort of stature, the old stadium was sort of built up, uh, upwards. So when you were on the field, you felt like the entire stadium was about to come down on you. This is a little wider. The concourses are a little wider. Everything's a little more fan-friendly. So it doesn't have that same home field advantage. I, I kind of dismiss the right field thing because the other team's playing there too. And, uh, you know, you, 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 the other team has a lineup that can also hit a ball uh, you know, 325 feet to right field, and there's going to be a home run as well. So, um, you know, it's not like the Yankees get to play, get to hit in those dimensions, and then the visitors have to go hit at, uh, you know, in Dodger Stadium. Mark, the, uh, the Yankees seem to be playing better defense this year than a lot of people thought. Certainly, you know, the numbers and the eye test back that up. I don't want to hammer in Gary Sanchez here, but how much of that just starts with the fact that there seems to be more stability behind the plate? You know, when you watch the Yankees play, it just seems like there's less of a, I, I don't know, it, it, guys seem more relaxed. That's the only word I can use. 
I think you're right, Jeff, and I think part of that is uh, certainly the catching. I mean, Gary Sanchez you know, took the world by storm in 2016 with 20 home runs in, in two months, but he was never a good catcher. And no matter how much they worked on it, whether it was his skills, his size, his techniques, whatever it was, his hard-headedness, he just never figured it out behind the plate. So I thought the Sanchez trade was a big one for them and bringing in uh, you know, Trevino's been great. Him and Hagashioka have been terrific defensively. I thought the other real big key, everybody sort of, you know, looked at it as a whatever move. They made the Donaldson trade, and Josh, and Josh Donaldson's a good third baseman, but they got Valefa in that deal, Tanner Valefa. He's a very good defensive shortstop, and when you go from having Torres playing short and booting the ball over the field, move him over to second where he's a competent defender, and you've got a uh, the, between shortstop and catcher, the team's defense has been outstanding. And I think, honestly, Aaron Judge has been a, a, a surprisingly good defender in center field. We always knew he was a really good right fielder. Center field's a different monster altogether, uh, and he's been excellent out there. So when you look at that up the middle, um, you know, with Glaber moving over, Connor Falefa, the catching duo, and Judge, the up the middle defense has been very good. And when trade deadline comes, is there a finishing piece that you go, yeah, that's what they really need to hone in on to take them to ultimately where they want to go? Well, I think a reliever is always in order for every team. That's why they're so expensive come deadline time. You know, Clay Holmes has been unbelievable this year. Nobody would have possibly predicted that he would be the best reliever in baseball. Uh, you know, they're going to get Chapman back. The question is, will he close? Will he not? Um, will he get over that early season funk he was in? Uh, and will he stay healthy? Michael King's been great. But uh, every team could always use another reliever. So that won't surprise me. I keep thinking that they could use another starter because at some point, one of these guys is either going to come back to earth or get hurt. Um, but honestly, the way they're going right now, you add a starter, you're going to make him your long man. So uh, unless there is an injury in the rotation or some real regression with somebody, I'm not sure that, that a starting pitcher is in their plans. The only other thing I would look at, you know, Joey Gallo started to come on of late. Aaron Hicks has started to come on a little bit of late. Both of them have not been good overall this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Yankees look for a corner outfielder uh, to either replace one of them or maybe get into a rotation. A guy like Ben Intendi makes some sense, I think. Um, so I think the corner outfield is something Brian Cashman is certainly going to be monitoring as well. Mark, I know you covered a lot of those those really good Yankees teams. When you were doing research for the book, the and the book title is The Franchise New York Yankees, A Curated History of the Bronx Bombers, was there something you found out that surprised you? Even as somebody who followed the team closely, was there, was there you know, whether it was an interview or a person or an anecdote where you just thought, where you just said, man, I, I kind of didn't, kind of didn't know that that's that's a little surprising so there was something that was certainly public knowledge it was certainly out there but maybe just i had forgotten about it and when when it was reminded to me it sort of opened up these sliding door scenarios in my head at the end of 1995 when they fired buck showalter the yankees were looking for a new gm first they offered that job to joe torrey and he turned it down he wanted to manage uh, he wasn't their top choice to manage. They went after La Russa. He went to the Cardinals. They went after Davey Johnson. He went to the Orioles. But just think about how different this whole history might have been if Joe Torrey had taken the GM job. Hmm. We don't know who the manager would have been. He never would have been the manager. Brian Cashman may never become the GM at that point. Uh, it, it, there were a whole lot of scenarios there with that one decision that could have really changed the course of this team's history. And so... Uh, you know, it wasn't – I didn't break the news that he was offered the GM job, but I think it's something that uh, a lot of fans of the last 
let's say, 20 years uh, or, or, you know, sort of the tail end of the Tory or people who came in during the Tory era or right. grew up during that era might not have known and might not have thought about just sort of how monumental that decision turned out to be. Yeah, I, boy, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't that, that aware of it, to be honest, hearing you put it that way. Um, yeah, it, it's... I, mean, I was still I, in college, so I may have slept through it, but, you know, yeah, uh, no, certainly... I I was working them, but I probably, frankly, wasn't paying that much. I'm sure it happened when I was on the road, in which case I definitely wasn't paying any attention to much, much, <laughs> of, much of anything at that time. Um, it's, that's interesting because it seems to me that one of the things that those great Yankees teams did so well, and it, you know, they, they, made the, they made the right decisions about a lot of players, didn't they? You know, they made, whether it was choosing Bernie to be their center fielder, not moving Derek into the outfield, um, you know, uh, committing the guys instead of Sterling Hitchcock. Like, they just, they, it, it's, it seems like they did a really good job in deciding who they needed to hang their hat on. They did. And, you know, when, they, when it was time to retain somebody, obviously they had the money to do it, but they also decided to do it. I mean, they had the money to retain Robinson Cano, uh, you know, in 2012 if they wanted to. They decided they didn't want to. They didn't think it was worth a 10-year contract. They almost let Bernie Williams leave for the Red Sox. And, right. uh, you know, it was a last-minute decision for George Steinbrenner to say, fine, we'll give him what he wants. And think about what happens there. If Bernie signs with the Red Sox after the 98 season, uh, that becomes a much different situation, too. So I think where this front office has always been very good under Brian Cashman has been on the margins. I mean, they've had stars. They've had stars all over the place. But when you look at the title-winning teams, you look at guys like Scott Brocious. They yeah. picked him up when he was coming off of a terrible year in Oakland. Uh, 09, you look at Jose Molina, right? Backup catcher mm-hmm. uh, is usually not an integral role, but Molina was the only one who could get A.J. Burnett's head straight, and A.J. Burnett was a huge part of that team. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I even look right now, some of the moves they've made on the margins, guys like Clay Holmes, right? When they, when they acquired him, uh, nobody could have cared less. That was, a, that was a, a whatever move, and yet he's been a huge piece of this team's success this year. So I think for all of the talk that, the, that there always is about, oh, well, they just write the big check to the big star. Yes, they do that, but some of Cashman's best moves, I mean, he traded Wilson Bedemeet for Nick Swisher, uh, and that was a big move for the 0-9 team. So uh, I think some of those smaller moves are where Cashman really shines. Mark, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Again, congratulations on the book, and uh, stay safe and be well. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. Take care. That's Mark Feinstein, MLB Network insider and author of the franchise, New York Yankees, a curated history of the Bronx Bombers. Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot. It's like anything else. There's a lot of stuff when you go back and look at a team's history. <clears throat> you know, a lot of moves that were almost made or a lot of decisions that were almost made. And you do, you know, you do wonder. Uh, just what history would have what history would have resulted if Joe Torrey becomes general manager mm-hmm. instead of manager? Who does he hire? Does that person do uh, as good a job as Joe Torrey did? Or at least uh, does that person have as, as much of a handle on how to deal with everything that came with managing the Yankees and working for George Steinbrenner the way the way Joe Torrey did. It's not always about writing the biggest check. It's about being smart on yeah. the the little the little moves. He, he he mentioned the Clay Holmes move. That that's you know that's turning out to be something special because if they didn't have him, somebody else would have to fill in, and the, probably the team wouldn't be. You know, it, they'd be still really good, but they wouldn't be as where they're at now. It's. 
Clay Holmes hasn't allowed a run if you're interested in his last 28 appearances. That's the longest single-season scoreless streak by a Yankee pitcher since 1990. It's the third longest in the last 50 years. Mariano Rivera had another one of those, 30 and two-thirds innings. Hard throwers with movement. That, that's Any guess as to the other reliever who had a 30 and two-third inning streak? This now You want to talk trivia questions. Lee Guterman. Nice. You know, I was listening whenever Mark said, uh, said I, when I asked about what the, what's the trade deadline going to look like for the Yankees, and he said left-handed bat, extra starter, I know and swing and miss out of the bullpen. Yeah. And I started thinking, what's the Blue Jays? They add another team. <laughs> and, yeah. this, and this team's 35 games above 500. To, to say that this might be the biggest year for Ross is – because you're going to have a lot of teams because of the expanded playoffs looking for the exact well, same and, thing. It's not going to be the easiest thing to get. And, and here's the other thing about expanded playoffs. In the past, you could, if you were a team that reasonably expected to go to the playoffs, you could look at your potential postseason opponent and go, okay, suppose we run into, I don't know, Suppose we run into the Houston Astros in the postseason. What, what do we need that will allow us, that will give us a bit of an edge against the Astros? What do we need that will, um, what can we go out and get that sets us up nicely for this possible playoff matchup? You could do that. I don't know if you can do that anymore because the road, the good news is there's more teams in the playoffs. The bad news is there's more teams in the playoffs mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Uh, and and I think that brings the focus down to less less specifics and more just what do you we never, need? You what do we need to never do go wrong with swing and miss stuff? The, the more power we just mentioned, Clay Holmes. Why is he so good? He throws hard with a ton of movement. He can get lefties and righties out. That's not a matchup thing. That's an inning thing. I have the lead. It's his inning. He's getting it. I don't care what part of the lineup he's at. That is what you're looking for. But the competition to get Clay Holmes. Is now greater because of the expanded playoffs. I, it's again, it, it, it gets back to Elvis Martinez. Are you willing to give up Elvis Martinez to get something bigger than what a another team with a better record is trying to get to take them to the World Series? The, the, the Yankees are thinking about this is the final piece. Yeah. This is longevity through the playoffs. This is if I need a, a left-handed bat off the bench to bring in to face a hard-throwing righty that I want to mix and match with, give Aaron Boone better choices to do that with. I'm just making that up, but that's something that yep. sort of that final piece, that extra arm coming out of the bullpen, that's exactly what the Blue Jays need. This is what I said. Competition is going to be at its highest level. And what are the Blue Jays willing to give up at the minor league level to get it? Huh, there's some big questions. I did not. Garrett Cole has a 333 ERA. The worst ERA amongst Yankee starters. Stay hot. I, uh, it's not even four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I, it's, it's. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you got a veteran lineup. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to beat home that home field advantage. But every time I watch them, Jeff, it's I, almost like bat pass. Yeah, and I, uh, and the pitches that they hunt, trying to hit it to that. Even the Rizzo walk. I would home defer to you. That was a wall scraper. I, I would, I would, I would defer to you because I'd be lying if I said I paid yeah, that. I go that into much that attention. if I'm an opposing team who don't play there every day. The very first thing I do when I walk on the field is look over there. If I'm a position player or I'm a pitcher, how do I stay away from that? And if I'm hitting, how do I hit to that? I think about it. The Yankees have mastered it. It's home field advantage. That's that's a big deal. You noticed that. That Aaron Judge just staying inside. I think uh, Stanton hit like a, a, a homer in the first row. Who He pimped it. He knew it was gone down the right field line and went in the first row. That's called home field advantage. You don't know yeah, why? When you're they take of- batting practice in it, and they know if I touch it, and I know how hard I have to hit it because of where I hit it, it's going out. When you know what that's called? Home field advantage. When you're pimping first row home how runs, about it? you are really... So there's a thing. I, I know Mark, really Mark, playing with house Mark money. rolled his eyes at it like you rolled your eyes at it. I watched the games. I, right. I see the way these guys are taking bat pass and, and trying to get certain pitches to drive balls over there. You know what Something we'll do? to it. We'll talk to J.D. today. We'll go down because yeah. we're going to be down at the park. We'll talk to J.D. and Absolutely. we'll bounce that off. Absolutely. Well, he, he thinks the way I think, so he's going to. Sure I know he he's not hitting very well. What's he hitting, 230? He's got, he's got, I think he's got five homers or something. But, yeah, when, when could you ever say that J.D. would be a role player for a World Series team. That's what he is. Yeah. He's a role player. Caleb Joseph is uh, a Blue Jays radio analyst. He's just one of our Blue Jays analysts on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590, the fan. We want to talk a little bit about Kevin Gossman's outing yesterday from a catcher's point of view. And also what you say Kikuchi has to do on Sunday because, well, Caleb Joseph has caught you say Kikuchi. He's got some pretty... He, he's got some pretty strong thoughts on what you say Kikuchi ought to do. He's got some pretty strong thoughts. Should be fun. It will be. Caleb Joseph joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. All right. 7.07 tonight. First pitch. Jays and Yankees. First talking about three. a Blue Jays win after the game. Me and Jeff Blair. Yeah, we will be talking about it on Blue Jays talk after the game. I got a good feeling about this series. I think they take That's two. not true. I think That's not true. Two. Every time you said Yankees, you've, you've like, they're playing the Yankees. So that's not true. No, I got say, say how you feel. I got a good feeling. For real. I got a good feeling. I think they can take two or three. I, I don't know why I do. And if they take two or three, the Yankees will be what? <laughs> 32 games, 32 above, games 500. above 500. <laughs> and it's not even summer, ladies and gentlemen. As we all predicted, the Yankees are running away with the American League East. Yeah, I think I did pick that. Yeah, you did. Uh, anyhow. Because John Snyder yelled at me because you pointed it out and said that I didn't pick them to win the World Series or the division. And then John Snyder yelled at me on the air. So that's the only reason why I'd leave it to you to throw me right under the Greyhound. Yeah. So yesterday, the Baltimore Orioles 
beat the Blue Jays 10 2. Yeah. Kevin Gossman had his worst start since 2019, back before he was Kevin Gossman, back before anybody thought he'd be getting a five year contract and $110 million. Oof. Back when he was just trying to basically figure out what he was. Was on a second or third Am I a starter in? or a hybrid guy? Yes. Yeah. And uh, at least that start, he lasted five innings. This was two and a third yesterday and uh, he has only had i went back and looked in 2019 he did have one two inning start that was for the uh that was for the cincinnati reds and it was just it, it, i mean it was just it was almost like let's see what this guy's all about it was a two inning start uh he he pitched uh, uh, a shorter relief inning and in tw- outing in 20, 2020 for the giants so i mean it was it was it was a horrible game for Kevin Gossman. And he said afterwards, he talked about lack of command. He was happy with his velocity, lack of energy. Caleb Joseph, uh, former major league catcher. He is, of course, one of Sportsnet's Blue Jays analysts, Sportsnet 590, the fans analyst. He joins us in Blair and Barker. Caleb, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I want to ask you about Yusei Kikuchi because, as I said, you've you've caught him. You know the guy. I know you've got some ideas about him, but... I wanted to ask you about what you saw out of Kevin Gossman yesterday and talk to me, talk to me a bit about the importance of sequencing when you're basically a guy who has two pitches and kind of sort of a third pitch the way Kevin Gossman does. Yeah, it's, it's super important. And the tech is amazing. The analytics are amazing. But one thing that doesn't do is it doesn't, tell you exactly how to sequence those pitches, right? I mean, I was taught at an early age the sometimes the end game and how you want to get there uh, with the split or the fastball. It's, 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 like a, it's like a picture. You've got to start with, you know, the stick figure. You've got to start with the body and then use the leg and then the right leg and then the, the right arm, the left arm. And now you've got like an entire picture. And What's, what sequencing does is it, it paints the entire picture. And for these veteran teams uh, like the Yankees or even like a super aggressive team like the Baltimore Orioles, you've got to find a way to sequence your pitches and not be predictable. Now, I think a lot of it is sequencing with Gosman. When you look back at some of the first uh, four or five starts when he was really dominating in, uh, in Toronto, he, he was just establishing something and he was establishing that heater up in the zone. Here it is, have at it. And I'm not making really an adjust an adjustment until you adjust to, to that pitch. And the more he threw that fastball early on in the game, it set his hand position up for that split. That's a very finicky position for the hand. Um, and so I, what I've seen over the last couple starts is the right out the gate, kitchen sink, fastball split, split, fastball split, slider split, fastball, and there's no real rhythm or timing or flow to it. Now, I understand why, because probably the analytics say this guy can't hit the split, so just throw the split. But again, why can't he hit the split? Is it because somebody threw two fastballs up in the zone and he had to cheat a little bit to get to it? As Bark would always say, you know, trying to get that front hip going, which creates a little bit of room for error underneath with the split. Is it because you threw him a down and away fastball and now he's got a cover and then you popped him up and in and then you went split below or you went slider early first pitch? It's, the sequencing is the most important part of the at-bat. And sometimes you can't rush that part. Sometimes you've got to set a guy up, 
especially the older guys. Mm-hmm. This team coming into town, the Yankees, Bronx Bombers, they have got to be set up. They got to be set up with different quadrants, with different pitches. And if you try and rush the end game, sometimes you get boxed in. And for me, it's 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 the predictability of okay. I looked back, and I'm not trying to, to, to bury Moreno here. I'm really not. But he didn't double up on a fastball the entire game. And Wayne Kirby used to tell me, he said, boy, they ain't scouting a pitcher. They scouting you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I'd never really thought of that, you know. And as a young catcher, as a young catching core that the Toronto Blue Jays have right now, it's easy to become predictable because some of that analytics – doesn't tell you exactly how to sequence if that makes any uh, sense. Okay, there, there, there's there, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there. It's okay. Let's put a scenario together here so fans can understand this because I, I was thinking along while you were talking. And if I'm facing a two pitch guy who basically at the end of all that wants to get me out with a split finger, he wants me chasing that pitch, whether that's weak contact or he wants to get a a swing over for me. I'm a big left handed hitter. I'm not a big average guy, but I got a threat of going deep. Explain to me, if you were facing me, I'm left-handed. Just imagine a left-handed power hitter in the batter's box. The end goal, because you don't have a third pitch, you'll throw it. He threw the slider nine times, six for strikes. He'll throw it in a, let's see if I remember correctly, he'd throw it in an 0-0 count, an 0-1 count. He did throw it in a 1-2 count, but that was because that was like a seven or eight pitch at bat. He didn't really have a choice. That was sort of, I've thrown so many of the other ones. Mm -hmm. I got to mix it up and try and get him to chase that. Tell me how you Mm -hmm. would make a set, a bad split finger up with a fastball in sequencing to a left-handed hitter. Can you do that? Simplify that enough. So a fan, you being the catcher would understand that. Yeah. Let's take uh, Joey Gallo, for example, right? For me, Joey Gallo, he starts off with kind of a medium speed bat. Okay, so you've got to really speed him up to get on a good fastball. How am I doing that? I'm going up in the zone with 97 until he really gets close. And that's a sense. That's an experience thing. That's a feel thing. You know, not every foul ball straight back means, ooh, he's right on it. Nope, he's late. Okay, that's one of the biggest misconceptions in all of baseball is a foul ball straight back is that he's right on it. No, his angle of his bat is right on it, but he's dead late. I mean, I can tell you how many times that I've seen guys foul ball straight back, look at the mark on their barrel, and it's right next to the label. Okay, so I'm waiting until he gets close. I'm pounding him in until he starts to get close, and hopefully he pulls one foul. Now I know I've got room for error down and away. doesn't mean I have to do that with the fastball and then throw the split, but I'm, I'm throwing heaters up and getting him sped up then once i feel like he's sped up then i'm going to drop the splitter down because now i've created room for error i'm trying to get that front hip to go it all depends on who the batter is and 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 that's experience that now you take uh, anthony rizzo for example he will start wound up maybe i go backwards with him throw him a first pitch backdoor slider because i don't really want to show the split right out the gate unless it's a pressure situation now the game will dictate when and where you're supposed to go after them. If there's nobody on, I'm trying to hold it for a little bit, not using it just for two strikes, but I'm trying to hold it because the more any major league hitter sees a pitch, they're going to have a chance. So I'm probably throwing backdoor slider. Then I'm going to try to and, and probably bust him inside because he's on the plate. Gosman can get inside with the fastball. Uh, I, I, I really prefer in more than up on Rizzo, just in, in, and then drop the split below. So, and then you come around back 
the second time through the order, now you might drop a first pitch, pitch split because maybe they've been sped up and they're trying to guess with your sequences. So it's this big, masterful game of chess, games of adjustments, but you got to know exactly what the hitters can and can't do going into the at-bat. It's not just a preset, we're throwing this, 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 and this. I mean, the game is organic. It will tell you what it needs, and it will tell you what it calls for. Okay, you nailed that. Now, on the flip side of that, you, you know, Kevin Gosman's one of those guys very aggressive. He, he ain't afraid to throw the heater. He'll buy into you pushing that heater button. Flip that over to Yusei Kikuchi. He is a guy that wants to shy away from it. I saw first inning uh, Rushman, he threw him a 3-2 slider, hitting a buck 80. That, for me, just make you want to scratch your head. Gets him in trouble, right? You want to get in the flow. You want to trust your best pitch. I locate it somewhat. I get an easy out. Now it allows me to use my secondary pitches later in game. If you got a guy who's timid, I'm going to use the word timid. Afraid is a big word at the big league level. So I will say timid. You're behind the dish. You got a guy who's shaking away from the old good number one. What do you do? Hit it again on the pitch com. He shakes, I hit it again. He shakes, I hit it again. He shakes, I go out there and I grab his shirt tail and I say, listen, buddy, we're throwing heater and that's it. Walking right back to the plate. And I tell you, one guy that's been able to do that with Kikuchi, Dan Jansen. Kikuchi's throwing 60% fastball when Danny Jansen is behind the plate, okay? And Kikuchi, he, he, he's a smart guy. He's very open to a number of different things. He's been really willing to work with pitching coach uh, Pete Walker and do a lot of adjustments. The in-game stuff, he does kind of – he's not stubborn, but he gets his mind set on something, and it takes a little bit of veteran experience to go out there and say, absolutely not. Now, you look back at his three years in Seattle, right? Who was his catchers? Omar Navarez, he's an offensive guy. You look at uh, Luis Torrens, offensive guy. He has not had that six, seven, eight-year veteran to walk out there and take the helmet off and smoke him right in the sternum and say, absolutely not, we are throwing heaters, buddy. No question. And if you, I will go back there, and I will hit Pitchcom again, and I will make three mound visits, and your bleep will be out of this game. Because we know the end result if you don't get the heater established. And for me, the biggest thing with that heater is getting his hand in the right place. Okay, for him to throw that slider, he is on the side of the ball. It is more left-to-right movement. It's not a downer. You've got to be over the baseball to throw a downer. He's throwing that left-to-right movement. And they show the slow-mo. When they show the slow-mo, his hand is on the side of the ball. Now, imagine trying to throw a four-seam fastball – your hand placement has got to, to be behind the ball to get optimum spin and rotation on that ball. If you're throwing 40, 50, 60% sliders and you're constantly on the side of the ball, it is a difficult adjustment to get behind it to throw that straight fastball. When he throws that straight fastball, it has explosive life. The spin is efficient, and that creates a lot of deception with the heater. When he's on the side of it, that's when you see the high arm side miss up and away to a righty, and then he yanks it down, not to mention it throws off all of the, the, the hand placements for the split. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge hand placement guy. I think that's so important. So when he comes out throwing slider, 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 mm-hmm. it just throws the entire sequence off. I wouldn't have it. I would not have it. And the problem is you're asking two younger guys to go tell a 31-year-old what to do. I'm not saying they can't do it. Do I think they should? Absolutely. But it's way easier when you have four or five, six yep. years of experience in the big leagues to go say, hey, buddy, this ain't happening. That's good. That's great stuff. Okay, you said stubborn. 
Now, we've had the conversation, timid, afraid. I hate the word afraid. I will never use that. He's a big leaguer. He's been paid handsomely like a big leaguer, and he's 30, 31 years old. Those guys aren't afraid. I use the word timid. You said stubborn. Is it more that? Can you clear that up for us? He's so he's when he's shaking that much. He has a certain pitch that he wants to get a guy out with, and no matter what, that's the pitch. That's stubborn. That's what you're going with. That's what you're thinking. It is. Yep, and ninety okay. percent of the time it's the slider. You know, and that yeah. that's for me. That's a comfort level. It's just a, it's just it's just trends. It's following trends and what has possibly happened or been successful in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, I just, when I caught him in Seattle, I saw a guy with an explosive four-seam fastball, and I saw a guy that has a left-handed split. Barker, how many left-handed splits are in the game right now? I, there's none that I can, that I can think either. of. The old, I mean, I go back to Hideki Okajima in, in the, the bullpen for the, for the Boston Red Sox 2004 World Series team. Um, uh, Chasen Shreve comes to mind. He had a just okay uh, uh, career, but go look at his numbers. Left-handed split, less than a 100 batting average. And you look at Kikuchi's batting average against that split, it, it's, it's nothing. It's, it is his best pitch. I think you have a potential fastball four-seam split guy in Kikuchi that is just waiting to be on top. It's a unicorn pitch. Nobody throws it. And when you, you know how it is, Kevin. When you're in there in the game and the, the, the hitting coach comes in and says, all right, guys, we got so-and-so. We got John Smith today. He's got fastball split. When the word split comes out, you, the moans and groans come out because hitters know it's an unpredictable pitch. Good grief. Oh, no. Split guy, go forget it. I mean, not mentally beat, but it's that pitch. And this guy is a left-hander with a split. I, I would be on the Kevin Gosman program in terms of, figure that thing out because it could be absolutely dominating plus split and forcing in the same hand placement. So now you're talking about repeatability. It's what I've seen since day one. I, I, every time I see him on the field, I tell him Uma and that in Japanese means big horse. He's a big (laughs) horse. You'd be throwing fastball split Uma. Nice. Caleb, really good of you to join us, man. That's great stuff. You nailed that. Way to go. Thanks buddy. That's great. I'll be here all week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet. There it is. Sportsnet 590, the fan. I want to jump in here. Uh, Mark Boffo, our producer, just sent me this. Uh, Jeff Passan has an article up on uh, Justin Verlander. And, um, you know, we talked about uh, how the Blue Jays had some interest in Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. This is a quote from Passan's story. It wasn't just... There was a lot of mutual interest. This is from Justin Verlander talking about the Jays' interest in him this year, this winter. Houston was at the top of the list. As negotiations started going, they kind of fell off. Some other teams really really started to show a lot of interest. I would say that the leader was probably Toronto. They were great, and I talked to George Springer a bunch. They were very proactive to the point that when I signed with Houston, I made sure to let them know that I appreciated it all. Ultimately, when it came down to it, Houston had the same offer. It was all kind of ballpark between them and Toronto. And the New York Yankees was kind of, it was all kind of ballpark between them and Toronto, comma, and the New York Yankees were kind of always a step behind. So Justin Verlander's telling you that it came down to the Jays and the Astros. 
I mean, it would have been a lot easier for, you know, that you say Kikuchi, that might have eliminated him when it comes to when you that's sign why, him. And, that's why I mentioned this. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, how now, would this, and again, how that's would this not, rotation look now? That's not a, a, an anonymous source. No. That's Justin Verlander telling you that the decision came down to Houston and Toronto. And, th- and the only reason I'm mentioning mm-hmm. that is you know, do not just do not underestimate how committed this front office, this ownership is to trying to get the, to trying to get this this thing over the line to the but world. You know series. as well as you know as well as anybody, a lot of fans are going to go, ah, yeah, but he's not here. So that's that's what a lot of fans are going to do. So now yeah. it's now it's about going out there and getting it. But it's it's nice to hear you know that the well, Blue Jays can does, have conversations it, with names like that. And this is look, you. Shy, Shy Davidi talks about this all the time. He's absolutely right. With this front office, you know what they're going to do by what they tried to do. They have tried in the past couple of years to sign Michael Brantley, to sign Justin Verlander, and to trade for Jose Ramirez. So they are telling you, this is what, they're telling you that they think they need more balance in their lineup. Mm-hmm. Not just by words, but by what they've almost done. They're telling you about the focus on the starting rotation as well. I mean, if I, you know, Justin Verlander's, you know, I, I, I don't know the whole timing of this thing. Does, would that have precluded signing Kevin Gossman? Doesn't seem like it. It seems like this might have been after. I don't know. If they signed Verlander, they're not signed Gossman. Does it mean they were going to try to sign both of them? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. But it's just, uh, just, kind of a, just kind of a reaffirmation or an affirmation of what the end, the end game is for this, this project that mm-hmm. we're currently seeing with the Blue Jays. And I'm going to tweet out a link to the article. It's not behind a paywall. Um, it's a terrific article from Passon. Uh, boy, can we squeeze in a uh, Barker's Back Leg Bits? It's time Let's for it. Barker's Back Leg Bits. Quick. I don't know who he was praying to, but Barker's like, get up, get out of here. And the guy's right at the fence. Like, I got this one, you know. The umpires would throw the balls out. Like, hey, Barker's up. Bring in the six balls. We need the dead one. All right, I want to go to this very quickly. Terry Whalen from uh, Mirror Machine, New Brunswick, talking about Kevin Gossman. You saw how he threw out a couple of balls yesterday. Mm-hmm. The home plate umpire came up to talk to him. Yesterday, Ryan Tapera did the same thing. Ryan Tapera caught a ball, threw it out, caught a ball, threw it out, caught a ball, threw it out, and the home plate umpire came towards him. The manager came out, the pitch coach came out. Ryan Tapera said to the home plate umpire, they're not bleeping rubbed up. Um Terry Whalen wants to ask, are the baseballs a real issue? He said, it didn't seem to be an issue for the Orioles, but Kevin threw out three balls. To be honest, some of the balls look pretty white, not rubbed up. Kevin, I yeah, want I you to talk for- about that because you're saying, forget the stuff about grip. It's because they're too white. It is. It's easier to see. It's easier to see the spin on, the, on the, the split finger. It's easier to see the color of the baseball. It's easier to see if he does throw a slider. The dot that you see with the slider, that for me is the deal. This, this ball is as white as it can get. It's just brand new. I've never rubbed this up with anything. You grip it. How does it feel? I could throw a changeup if I wanted to throw with this. I could throw a two-seamer. For me, it's not that. It's more of that I'm just so used to not seeing the color of that baseball that when I do see it, what do I want to do with it? Chuck it out there. And with Ryan Tapera, listen, everything Ryan Tapera does, I can't take with any seriousness whatsoever. I could just remember when somebody stuck a microphone in his face saying that he was scared throwing the ninth inning as a Blue Jay. That's the only thing I remember. So, he throws it out. I, I roll my eyes at it. How's that? All right. There you go. I get fired up Barker mm-hmm. at the end. That's great. That's it for Blair and Barker. We will be back a week from today. Got the week off. We'll also be doing Blue Jays talk tonight and uh, Sunday as well. So you'll get a little bit more of us.
Thanks so much for joining us. It's been Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, Sportsnet 360. And remember, if you're going to listen to us via podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Have a great weekend. Happy Father's Day.